Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Wasn't that a great time of baptism? Wasn't that wonderful? Great worship. That, yes, let's praise God for that and worship. It's so good. Many of you know Joe Creech and I go back to trailer days at Trinity Woods. Uh, what an impressive family. What a joyful thing it is to celebrate with you. And on the way in, I got to meet Dr. Owen and Sophie. And they, they've been married 57 years. She said 56 years happily. I love that. And uh, uh, so great. Um, but but what, a, what a wonderful day today and how it reminds us of how we are connected as family and uh, how privileged we are to be together. Well, listen, in the midst of celebration, we also come from all, being all over the place, and we've all had uh, significant challenges and struggles this past week. Did any of you feel like you were going through something that was difficult and challenging and a battle? Let me give you some good news. Yes, 100%, every one of us. Are you kidding me? Because we live in a fallen world. Life in a fallen world has got many battles, many battlefields. And, and as we come to look into God's word today, we're going to look at Psalm 144, talk about the ultimate warrior. Uh, but before we do that, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer together. Father, what a privilege to come into your presence today, to recognize that you are the sovereign God of the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is only one God, and we worship you. And we thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us, that you have helped us to see that you are the one and only, that you are the fount of every blessing, and that, and that in this broken world, when we sometimes say, why don't you do something? We know that you have, for Christ you have come and been our Redeemer and our Savior. And Holy Spirit, you have taken the work of Christ and put it into our hearts and drawn rebellious sinners to yourself. And so what a privilege it is for us to understand that we're your covenant people by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus. And so we come into your presence today and we honor you. We ask that you would be with us in a powerful way you know the needs in this room, the, the hurts, the pains, the sufferings, the bills that need to get paid. You know the healing that we need in our heart and the brokenness that we feel. And so we come to you and you alone. And so as we look into your word, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us as you are, not as we want you to be. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth for today, we have come to focus upon you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a second, I'm going to read all of Psalm 144. So if you have your Bibles turned there, we'll have it up on the outline in back of, of me. But I want, to, I want to read the entire psalm, and then I want to break it up for you today. David wrote it, think about 1,000 B.C., gives us a, a picture for when this psalm was written, when David lived and when he was king of Israel. And many of you know the story. Many of you know all about David. He was the intrepid, persistent, desert warrior, fighter, mountain fighter. He was a guy, uh, he was an amazing warrior, the original warrior rocker, if you will. I mean, he could go and take troops into war and win 
and then sit down and sing a song about it right afterwards. It was amazing. He wrote Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are songs which were then set to tones and tunes and sung by the congregation of Israel. And so Psalm 144 that I'm going to unpack for you today is one of those psalms that David, the warrior king, wrote for Israel that would have been set to a tune and sung by the congregation. you imagine that? Now, since I can't carry a tune in a bucket, I'm not going to sing it. Amen. I need to pray for you. (laughs) But I am going to read it. This is an incredible text. This is God's holy word, a warrior's song. This is God's holy word. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge who subdues peoples under me. Oh Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord. Come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me. Deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. You who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our field. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry or distress in the streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a psalm. And and so I want to unpack it for you. I'm going to teach the whole thing. And you say, you're not going to have enough time. Yeah, I'm going to get you out of here on time. There are five points in, actually five movements. As As you get in the mind of David to understand this psalm, we see that this psalm has a movement to it. You'll see how it ties together. And so I want to look, first of all, with you at movement, at movement one, uh, which is a powerful psalm. By the way, I, I came across this psalm, first of all, I mean, I read it before. How many have read this psalm before? Yeah, a lot of people. I read it, but it first came to my attention, and, and I saw it for what it was when I saw the movie years ago, Saving Private Ryan. It, it became apparent to me that this was a powerful text. Why? Because in the movie Saving Private Ryan, which is about... Well, it's the fictional account based on a true story of the fact that uh, there were four sons who uh, were in World War II. Three of them were killed. The commanding general at the time said, we're going to get him out of there. And so the movie is about saving Private Ryan. And a platoon is sent out to get him. 
And in that platoon, there's a sniper who shoots three times, and, and he's a cross-wearing, uh, scripture-toting, and spouting sniper who, before he shoots, always quotes a psalm. And just before he himself is killed, he quotes this psalm that we're studying today, particularly the first three or four verses. Because you see, he understood that he was a warrior because God first was a warrior. Exodus chapter three, the Lord is a warrior. God is the ultimate warrior. And and he understood that we could only fight battles that were important to fight if God is on our side. Not, Not is God on our side, are we on his, is the point. And so in the first movement, he gives praise for the ultimate warrior. And let me give you a heads up. This is my longest point. I have five points, and this is the longest. And some of you are going to think we're here for an eternity. No, I'm going to move it through. Uh, but, but this first point is the longest point. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. God is the ultimate warrior, and he praises God. He lifts up God. He, he exalts God. This is what we need. That's why we come to worship on Sunday mornings. We need it. To remember that there is a God who is high and holy and lifted up. Uh, And so he blesses God because so often we want to bless ourselves and we want God to bless us. That's true. But we need to bless God to be lifted up to remember who he is. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord, my rock. The word Lord there is that Hebrew word Yahweh, uh, which, which carries the idea of the covenant faithfulness of God. Perfect for today as we think of the covenant people of God, believers and their children. And, and, and how important it is to understand that with this word Yahweh, as David thinks of the God who is, is the covenant creating God of Israel, that he's a gracious God. Because you you can't understand the word Yahweh or God's relationship with Israel without understanding grace. God first moved toward Israel. And wrapped up in this thinking, and David's thinking is, is the graciousness of God. I need to remember that. David probably had more God awareness than anybody, I don't know, except Jesus. He understood who God was and he intentionally, he understood that God intentionally moved toward us when we didn't want really much to do with him. He moved toward Israel because they were a wonderful people, weren't they? No, because he loved them and he decided to love them. Grace is sending Jesus to be our substitute. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that we deserve the opposite. Wrapped up in that concept of Yahweh the covenant creating God of Israel. And David meditates on that. And so he blesses God and he recognizes that life can only be understood in light of the reality that there is a God. Psalm 14, Psalm 53, both begin, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. David's no fool. And you're no fool. Because we know that Something doesn't come from nothing unless somebody powerful does it. So David had a very high view of God, and we need to have a very high view of God, who is awesome. Today we're ending the series that we started a long time ago. I don't know how many weeks ago. For some of you, it was an eternity. But but we've been looking at the attributes of God. God who is self-existent. 
he, he is the uncaused cause. There's nothing outside of him that derived him or came, caused him to be. It's the aseity of God. He is God Almighty, therefore, El Shaddai. He is the immutable God who never changes. He's the rock who never changes. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's gracious. He's kind. And David experienced him. We know so much about God. David experienced him. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want? Not to just to know theological facts about God, but to know, to experience him. The bit, see, so the bigger vision we have of, of God leads to a bigger vision for our own life. A big God keeps us from being small people. Have you ever met with somebody, had an appointment with them, got to know them, and you walked away saying, well, that, that's a really small person. I don't mean short in stature, but I mean just small. The bigger our view of God, the bigger people we can become and we're intended to become. And, and, and that's why he looks at this God who is so powerful. God is the rock. I, uh, many of you have been to Israel. Joe, you've been to Israel many times. You've been to, uh, you're sitting in the front row, so I, there it is. You're going to get picked on a bunch today. I'm sorry about that. But Israel, in Israel, there are rocks everywhere. I get to lead a tour back there uh, next year. And, uh, and, and it's, it's fascinating because rocks are everywhere. And you understand how important rocks are in David's thinking. Uh, they part of the warp and woof of who he was as a man. And so when he says God is the rock, he understands that when waters are moving very fast and you're standing on a rock, you can stand. When the storm is coming, the waters are rising. If you're standing on a rock, you're more likely to stand than to be swept away. Uh, he talks about God as a rock because a rock never changes. Do you, anybody remember years ago, there was a gimmick sold. They were called pet rocks. My friend bought one. I thought about buying them. I said, this is ridiculous. A pet rock? What a marketing genius came up with that. But God is a, God never, God, rocks are not personal. They, they don't change. They, rocks are, are trustworthy. You put a big enough rock in front of you, it can protect you. You throw a rock, it can defend you. Blessed be the rock. One thing, uh, and, and yet God is personal. He, one, one thing I've learned about the most trustworthy spiritual leaders in my life is they don't want human beings to trust them. They want people to trust God, the rock. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. One, one thing I found is that we trust God. One time I was thanking somebody in my church for what they had done, and I was just thanking them profusely for this ministry that they had done. And they stopped, they stopped me and said, Pete, I like you, I love you, but, but I didn't do it for you. I said, you're kidding. I said, I did it for Jesus. But of course, because he's the rock. He's the rock of our salvation. 
And that's who we depend upon. This rock is a person, and he trains us. Catch this. He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield. And he, he in whom I... T- you know what I've never gotten over as a, as, a, as a Christian is the fact that even though my dad didn't develop me, God is my father, and he will develop me. And he will develop you. I was speaking to 125 warriors outside of North Bragg, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, a few years last year, and and I asked how, I asked them. I said, "How many of you were intentionally developed by your dad?" Ten hands, max. And yet, when Jesus connects us to the Father, God becomes the Father who develops us every day of our life, 24 seven as individuals and as a church. Trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Why? Because it's a broken world. It's a bad world. A lot of difficult things happen. Uh, Don't miss this. The ultimate warrior trains warriors. Women, you too. As I've said, my daughter, we teasingly call her Jessie the Warrior Princess. Why? Why? I want her to learn to fight. Spiritual battles. And bad guys if they come her way. (laughs) How does he develop us into warriors? First of all, by giving us really a strong identity, a grace-based identity. God loves you not because of what you do for him, but because of what Jesus has done for you, right? We know that, but we have to be reminded of that. And building that strong identity that takes us out the doors every day is absolutely crucial. God is our rock and our identity can't be shaken because uh, Jesus rose from the dead. He teaches us to depend upon him. He fills us with his spirit. I, I skimmed an interesting book the other day, Carrie Newhoff, I Didn't See It Coming. Overcoming the seven greatest challenges that no one expects and everyone experiences. I, that's a great title. Wish I'd written it. What are those seven greatest challenges that none of us expect but everybody experiences cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, burnout, and emptiness. Didn't see it coming. Some of you haven't burned out, but you could see it from where you were. Some of you felt alienated, disconnected. Some of you felt cynical. That's a disease. The reality is there's a lot that we didn't see coming. I bet some of you went through something this week. You didn't see it coming. Just didn't see it coming. We, we, as a church, we've been through something this year. We didn't see it coming. Didn't see it coming. Who knew? Of course you didn't see it coming. Of course I don't see things coming. I'm a, I'm a human being for crying out loud. I don't have any sovereign powers to look ahead and to see what's coming, but God knows. God knows. He knew. And the only way he, we can be upheld is if the rock upholds us and trains us and makes us not just emotional people, but people of the rock. Another book, I I read Alan Noble's book, Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. He says, says it seems like because we live in this electronic buzz of technology everywhere, uh, it it has the goal of doing two things. Number one, capturing our attention and capturing our data. (laughs) That's our world. Capture our attention, capture our data, take us away from God. And David says, blessed be the rock 
who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. And then real quick, look at this. I'm almost done with this first point for those of you who are looking at your watch. Here it is. Look at the S's. He says, he is my steadfast love. He is my steadfast love and my fortress. In other words, God in his covenant faithfulness cannot not love us. He can't stop loving us. He's our, fort- he's our steadfast love. Not that David loves God. Not that I always love God. Not that you always love God, but that he loves us forever. Steadfast. He's our fortress. In northern Israel, there's this uh, fortress, their number one national park called Nimrod. And you go into this thing, and it's absolutely incredible. Built in the 12th century, you can see how they could, how they could defend, the Muslims built it, how they could defend us from themselves from the crusaders coming from the coast. And you see the, the viewpoint, the power of that fortress. He's our steadfast love and our fortress. He's our stronghold and our deliverer. He's our shield. The shield represents power and protection in scripture. Uh, I I ran across a a, a psalm this morning as I was just reading, for the shields of the earth belong to God. I thought, what does that mean? The shields of the earth belong to God. All power, all protection are his. And And so David in this first movement Uh, gives praise for the ultimate warrior who is God. And then secondly, he moves real quickly into, uh, sort of amazed, as he focuses upon God as he is, not the God we invent, David is a little stunned here. He's kind of rocked back on his heels. And he says, Oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? The son of man that you think of him. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. We compare ourselves to God? David himself, the warrior king, is shocked. And that's a good place for us to be, isn't it? Because in our humanistic society that focuses so much on how important humans are, we lose how important God is is, and we've all been influenced by our culture. And so David is absolutely amazed at how God is. He would have anything to do with us. And yet in the gospel, what's happened? Jesus has come. Philippians. Amazing. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be, to be grasped, but emptied himself, laying aside privileges and becoming one of us, yet without sin to take our sin. Uh, What is man that you think of us? You think a lot of us in the gospel, and David is absolutely stunned. Every Sunday is a renewal ceremony of the covenant of grace. And in this movement, after focusing upon God, David quickly moves to the stunned uh, attitude uh, about how God is so great. And then he moves on quickly into movement three, which is an urgent call for battle. It's sort of like he looks at God's greatness and then he's stunned that God would do anything at all, that he would even love us. And he goes, but God does love us. God's proved it. Just like God's proved it coming to us in Christ. And then, he, and then he kind of ramps up and he goes, well, if that's the way it is, uh, I, I'm going to ask God to, to move here. And so he says, bow your heavens, O Lord, come down. There's a commanding nature here. I, I don't pray prayers like this usually, but I'm not David. But maybe we can. 
Bow your heavens, O Lord. Come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash for the lightning. Scatter them. Send your arrows. Stretch out your hand. Lord, do something big. Why? Because David was in crisis. And when you're in crisis, you ask boldly for help. I've been re-watching Band of Brothers. And I noticed as I watched that movie, you know, that every time they're in battle and they call for artillery support, you know, the, the bullets are flying, the guys are dying. And because uh, we're in a battle, it's a horrible battle. And you know, the guys calling for artillery are not said, hey, uh, you know, it'd be a good idea if you kind of, hey, lob some shells over here, help us out. Uh, they're screaming. They're screaming, Lord, we need, we need, we need firepower now. They're screaming over the battle to get help. That's what, that's what's going on here. Uh, you need grit to handle it in the midst of a battle. And David, you see, and some of us are saying, well, David's just asking this for himself, isn't he? Lord, bless me. Take care of me. Protect me from our enemies. Here's how we have to understand the covenantal emphasis here. And that is simply this, that David was a representative of Israel. And if David succeeded and David was blessed, then Israel would be blessed. So as David prays his prayers, he's not just saying, bless me personally. Bless me so that Israel would be blessed. He's praying this for the people of God, not just for himself. Um, in the midst of challenges, this is the way we pray, boldly. I think I told you uh, uh, the story of three pastors who were gathered together in their office, one in the office of one of them, and they were talking about the most effective postures for prayer. One of the pastors was talking about sitting, one was talking about kneeling, one was talking about standing, and there was a guy working on the telephones in the room, and he said, you know, I found that my most important and effective posture for prayers is uh, praying upside down when I'm hanging from a telephone pole. <laughs> That's when I pray best. When life is hard. How many of you prayed like crazy this week? You should. I did too. An urgent call for battle action because God is the ultimate warrior. And then David moves on to that fourth movement of confidence for the future. After, see, do, you see the, do you see the movement? He starts out focusing so much of his time on God and then he moves to being stunned, absolutely stunned that God would have anything to do with rebellious kids like us. And then he says, well, but God loves us. God wants, he's involved with us. So I'm gonna do something. Now God come to action in battle. And then after laying out his emotions, he said, I will sing a new song. He, he calms down. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a 10-string harp, I'll play to you. You who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Then again, he asked for power. Rescue me, deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. When you go through crisis, as yeah, since we have, you run to the king, the ultimate warrior, and you pour out your heart, and you focus on who he is. And, and, and we get hurt. Life is, I mean, listen, individually, 
Some of the things you guys have been going through in this last year, cancer, ill health, family things, things that happen with your kids, it's rough. Churches go through tough times. We're in a battle every day of our lives because that's the world we live in. And, and you know, the thing about wars that I found out is that eventually, as I read history, eventually wars are over. And the wars get over and the ground gets healed up and the people's hearts can heal again. It's true for us as individuals, true for churches. We cry our tears, we suffer. Wars are over, we heal. And God, the ultimate warrior, brings us ahead for his glory. Some people say, is Jesus still really governing his church? Yeah. How? Through word and sacrament, through the spirit of the living God, he rules his church. He governs his church. He's large and in charge. Oh, and through his duly affected and elected officers in the church. He's the head, he's the king, and he governs his church, and he governs you and me. Aren't you glad? Because he's the ultimate warrior who we can trust with all of our hearts, even when our hearts are broken. But then I love this, how David wraps it up after all these movements of prayer, after he looks to, the, looks to the future and he says, I will sing a new song and we will sing a new song. You will sing a new song. Then he moves to the last movement, which is a bold prayer for the ideal future. David is asking for the moon. Here, I love this. He says, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. He's thinking about the whole body. Uh, may our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Girls, this is really not something that we uh, can uh, grasp much today. It's complimentary. May our kids grow up to be godly women and men who love God, who serve, who carry on the next generation. That's what our ministries are about. Our school is about. That's, that's what we're about. Uh, may our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. Notice David, David doesn't say, Lord, just fill some of them. He says all of them. He's asking for the moon. May our cattle be heavy with young. Bless. He says, I want everything. Let me ask you a question. What do you think elders and pastors pray for when somebody says, I'm sick, would you pray for me? What do we pray Full healing, right? We don't know what else to pray for. Lord, I pray you'd give partial healing to my friend here today. <laughs> He's got cancer. Take half of it away, please, Lord. No, we pray for the whole thing. Pray for absolute healing. Does God always say yes to us? No, he doesn't, but he's always in charge. And, and so the reality is, is David is asking for the moon. Sometimes we receive small because we ask small. James says, yeah, I'm not. You have not because you asked not. And, and, and so last week, uh, uh, and, and so this week, as we think about all of this, we're, we're asking big for the ultimate warrior to fight for us, with us, through us, and in us. Not that, that we would fight together, not fight each other. How important that is. Well, as I pulled this together, uh, 
I told you guys last week that I struggled with some things. I was, as we talked about the patience of God, I struggled with curling as a sport. <laughs> and I also struggled with the reality that while I was doing my internship in Alabama, not Mississippi, I was called a Yankee and I didn't identify as a Yankee. And so one of you took some time and put down in an email some words to set me straight. And I'm not going to tell you who it was. But Tim Williams gave me some great points about <laughs> why curling is probably a sport. Maybe not an athletic competition, but a sport nevertheless. And you convinced me. And then he went on to say that during the war of northern aggression... California was on the side of the Union. So he said, technically, you're a Yankee. And then he said diplomatically, but we both know West Coasters are really a different breed and don't fit the mold of Yankee or Rebel. I am not sure how to take that. Uh, <laughs> but, but he set me straight. Curly's a sport. And I'm a Yankee. I need to be set straight. David sets us straight about who God is and about what God is doing. And we need to be set straight because it's so easy for us to wander. And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, keep us focused on the God who is, not the God we invent, we will stay together. We will move ahead. And by God's grace, the ultimate warrior will achieve his victory through us. You take it to heart. And let's pray together. Our great God, we come to you in praise. We, we, we come to you today, but we need to look up to you because you know our brokenness and you know our tears and you know our struggles and you know what we need before we even need it. So we come to you. And Lord, with all of the challenges that we face as individuals and as a body, we put those before you and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to set us straight by your grace Move in our midst and may you fight in us and through us and, 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 and for us as we advance your kingdom. And we will be very careful to give you the honor and the praise and the glory as we pray these things in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.